So welcome to What Are You Talking About? We're doing a special coronavirus edition. <laughs> so we're here talking with three Renew It researchers, environmental engineers, all of us, but there have been some big changes. Probably the last time you heard us, we were two graduate students and a postdoc, but now we're three doctors. So we've got on the line, whoop, whoop, Chris Olivares calling in from Berkeley, California. Hello from a blanket in my room. <laughs> we got Scott Miller calling in from, where are you now, Scott? I'm in San Diego right now, and it is not sunny. It is like literally flooding outside. <laughs> and then this is Joe Charbonnet calling in from Denver. So we, we got a good spread here. We're gonna be talking about the coronavirus, and yeah, we're gonna give our take on what you should worry about in our urban water systems with this new virus. So I wanna start out by throwing a question out to you two, because you guys are the more microbiologists of the bunch. Could you explain what a virus is and specifically tell us a little bit about this particular coronavirus that we're concerned about? Well, Chris just finished teaching a class on microbiology, so I'm gonna to toss this one to Chris. Very well. <laughs> We can think about viruses as genetic material, which means that it's a group of nucleic acids. That would be your letters G, U, A, and C. So, so this is like DNA, the, right, Chris? Exactly, like DNA, except uh, that in, in this case, one of the letters that in DNA is T or thymine is replaced by a U, which is uracil. So it's a different, uh, a different um, nucleic acid, but it's very similar to DNA in the same uh, class of biomolecules. Uh, viruses, uh, despite uh, hearing in the news that how the best way to kill the virus, there's a contention whether viruses are actually alive. And that's because viruses need a host to be able to reproduce. And uh, therefore, they're, by, they're the living dead, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to say something that I think will upset the microbiologists on this call, I absolutely think that viruses are alive. Okay, no, no. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were gonna. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> viruses, they have genetic material, just like things that you would agree are alive. They reproduce and evolve. They even evolved from things that you would agree are alive. Yet you are saying they're not alive? Well, they cannot reproduce on their own. Well, I can't reproduce on my own, but I'm alive. <laughs> I guess it depends how you see it. If you see us as human beings parasitic in a larger system, then maybe we're not all alive, none of us. But... <laughs> well, Joe's a chemist, so, you know, you can take everything he says about life with a grain of salt. What I consider something to be alive is that something that can keep homeostasis inside. So at different concentrations, it, what it's inside of the organism and the environment. Because once that is in equilibrium, then you're dead. So uh, viruses don't keep things in equilibrium, but cells and bacteria, they do. So I think it's all to down to thermodynamics. That's, oh. that's, that's my two cents. Oh, I am, <laughs> I am slain. Take that, chemist. <laughs> If we come back to the notion of viruses reproducing, 
this new bugger, which we call SARS-CoV-2. Um, everyone right now just calls it coronavirus, but this is one of many viruses that have become an issue with regard to becoming an outbreak and then potentially becoming a pandemic. You know, there were SARS back in 2002, there was MERS in what, 2012? Um, and now we have, you know, our new one and it can reproduce inside of your body What's uh, becoming, you know, more known, more recognized is that this virus is reproducing inside of our lungs. That's like where, you know, big problems, coughing problems like shortness of breath and whatnot. But this virus, we're also finding it in our poop and in our pee because this virus is making its way through our body and ending up in our digestive tract. <laughs> um, and it's reproducing there, which is, you know, a little worrisome because, you know, there, there's an open question for a lot of the world that doesn't have, you know, adequate sanitation management of like where this virus will go after we shed it into the environment. Because not everyone has a toilet and not everyone has a, ma you know, a, a sewage management system. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to backtrack and, and follow up on a few things that you said there. So first of all, you said everyone's colloquially calling this coronavirus. But that's pretty nonspecific, right? There are other coronaviruses besides SARS-CoV-2, is that right? Yes, and so the world has known about coronaviruses for a long time. There's other, there's, there's way less lethal species of coronavirus that um, kids get all the time, and it just causes a cold, whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, we've maybe all seen the pictures of the coronavirus at this point with its little spikes that make it look like a crown, supposedly. I don't really see it, but that's why we call it the coronavirus. <laughs> so this is sort of a capsule around that genetic material. And Chris, you were talking about how this capsule around it is important for characterizing the virus, is that right? It is because this, uh, this, this uh, layer around it, this capsule, is a membrane that is made up by lipids, so essentially fats that make, um, make a, a shelter, a home for this, for this virus. And then you have these sticky points that you were pointing out that they are the spikes, the spike proteins that actually dock and infect cells. Um, so essentially, it's like a very, very mini uh, miniature, but equally as bad version of the Death Star in Star Wars, <laughs> if you like that. <laughs> and, uh, and because they are lipids, they repel water very nicely. And it really it likes to bind up to with organic materials. All right. So, Chris, we have this capsule of fats of lipids around it. And so that's called an envelope. So these are enveloped viruses or enveloped viruses? That's exactly right. And because they are lipids, they tend to repel water very nicely and associate with more organic compounds, like for example, dirt or, or maybe the mucus in your lungs or maybe the species. It's actually really, 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 really important to wash your hands because these viruses are kind of sticky. They like to, you know, stick onto things like your fingers and to like other grime and things like dirt. And so when you wash your hands, actually you're just physically removing the virus. And when they say like, wash your hands for 30 seconds, what they're saying is like, soap up and make suds, make bubbles and wash your hands away from the water. You know, you're washing your hands with the soap and really getting like in every surface of your hand because you're just, you can physically remove the virus very well using soap. Cause soap is this surfactant and it can remove this dirt, this grime, these organics that the virus is stuck to. Gotcha. So let me break this down here. So if I understand correctly, we got this virus that it's wrapped up in a ball of fat, basically, an envelope of lipids. And so soap is what we call a surfactant, which means its molecule looks like a little sperm where it's got a tail and a head. And that tail 
likes to stick to fat and, and dirt and things like this virus and, and bundle them up. And then that head says, no, I want to be in the water. And so when you wash off all that soap afterwards and you carry the virus with it. That's right. In addition to that, surfactants are very cool because they sometimes can insert themselves into membranes and basically break them apart. It starts cracking, 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 cracking that envelope and then eventually everything, all the soup just gets released. In this case, the nasty and gnarly soup of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Wow. <laughs> Chopping up the virus and spilling its guts out, huh? Yeah. Well, cool. So, so we've, we've mentioned a little bit already about this virus ending up in poop. And, you know, I think all of us as environmental engineers think about poop probably more than the average person. Should I be worried about this virus ending up in poop? So, I mean, you should be worried about it in the sense that if you go to the bathroom, wash your hands really well. When you flush the toilet, put the seat down. When you flush the toilet, you're creating a plume of aerosolized water that ends up in the air of your bathroom. It can land on surfaces or like fall in your face, you know? You Dude, know? I can't even remember to put the lid down, or the seat down. And now you're telling me I need to put the lid down too? Come on. I think that maybe there's, even if, uh, if you're worried about getting any virus from poop, I think it's also important that there might be virus particles. It doesn't mean that all of them are infected. The extent of the, the disease is depends on the exposure of this particular virus for SARS-CoV-2. So maybe the particles might be there, doesn't mean that they're all are active. Yeah, there are certain kinds of illnesses where if you get, you know, one microorganism into your body, you can get sick. You just need one cryptosporidium organism to get into your stomach and then you can become ill. But I don't, I mean, viruses usually need hundreds, if not thousands of these infectious particles to get into your body because your body does a good job at preventing infection. And, and to be clear, cryptosporidium is not a virus, right? That's right. Cryptosporidium is a protozoa. So it's tiny, it's microscopic, but closer to an animal than it is to a bacterium. That is right. Closer to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think we, as environmental engineers that work with water systems, can be doing about outbreaks like the coronavirus? Since we're talking about soap and water, I, wanna, I think one of the things that we should think about, how do we make sure that people that are both on the grid, but also especially people that are not on the grid, like rural communities, indigenous communities, and also the homeless population have access to water resources and also things like soap or uh, antibacterial gels to be able to have a proper hygiene and reduce their rate of infection. It's, and it's not something that is more of a quick response to this current pandemic, but thinking more long-term. How do we build a resilient uh, portfolio of water access and that is also equitable to make sure that people can take care of themselves and also have good health? That, that was awesome. I have nothing to add on top of that because I think, I think that's a very big question and I think Chris nailed it. <laughs> I, I will add one thing to that, which I confess I'm stealing from one of the professors in Renew It, Ali Bain. Uh, put out this opinion piece about it recently. And one thing that we can do a better job of is studying all kinds of infectious material. Even though this particular coronavirus is new, other coronaviruses are out there. And unfortunately, we haven't studied those very well either. And if we had done a better job of studying those, we might have more tools in our toolbox by now for fighting this one. And so I think if we invest more in researching these things that seem less urgent, 
when something does become urgent, we'll say, okay, we can apply the knowledge that we have about this kind of virus that's related, and we can apply the knowledge that we have about this kind of sterilization method, um, and now all of a sudden they are really relevant, and we can you know, swoop into action. All sorts of people are having interesting thoughts about, you know, kind of what can we learn from the coronavirus? Pope Francis came out a few days ago and said that the coronavirus pandemic is one of nature's responses to humans ignoring the current ecological crisis. Wow, you know, like that's a very interesting take. This kind of virus is like zoonotic virus. So it came from the mixing of animals. You know, there are certain kinds of practices around the world that we do that can actually increase rates of creation of these sorts of organisms. Absolutely. I think that land change use is one of the main drivers for having things like this virus come uh, infecting people. Uh, coronaviruses uh, are found in a lot of bats. So when you think about bats are not really the type of creature that you want to have as a pet or really enough. Unless you're land. a goth. Unless you're a goth, you can absolutely have as many bats as you like. <laughs> enough uh, land use change so that that virus that was in a bat jumped into the meat market, maybe the pangolins that people were illegally buying in the food market, and then jump into a human. That, that is a lot of barriers uh, that were removed by change the so-called natural spaces for agriculture or in industry or just more humans going into deep wilderness, if you will. I think a similar like philosophical question that's been raised for me about this is what is the role of experts in our society today? And so, you know, we have experts that are actively providing advice and some people are taking it and some people are not. And I think that's going to be especially acute when we finally do develop a vaccine for this disease. And there's a big conversation about whether to trust the experts on vaccines, especially in this country. And it'll be interesting now that we've had a disease that's so disruptive to see how, in fact, people will trust experts. This episode of What Are You Talking About? was very quickly produced by me, Joe Charbonnet, with help from Scott Miller, Chris Olivares, Hannah Greenwald, Skylar Herzog, and Chelsea Panos. We really wanted to get this episode out in a timely manner despite our total lack of microphones and recording spaces and proximity to each other, so we appreciate your patience with some of the production quality. We also realize it's been a long time since our last episode. We've been really busy with our academic careers for the last year, writing dissertations and lesson plans and teaching statements, uh, but we hope that uh, we can put out more episodes more regularly for the next few months. This podcast is produced in association with Renewit, the NSF's Engineering Research Center for Reinventing the Nation's Urban Water Infrastructure. Check that out at renewit.org. This is What Are You Talking About? Stay wet, everyone. Honestly, my one of my dreams is to be able to sleep like a bat, but that's for a different
different topic. I think it's so much uh, space efficient, but that's a different conversation. And it's fun to be upside down. But um, 